Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The political landscape remains much the same weeks after all the politicians went on holiday. I told you that would happen. The Tories are still arguing about what kind of Brexit they want and whether Chexit is a goer. The Labour Party is still all over the place on anti-Semitism and Corbynista Peter Willsman is back in a position of power after blaming Jews for making up the allegations. But... You'll be pleased to know we're not talking about any of that because we've got better things to do. Instead, we'll be unveiling a brand new plan to generate £27 billion worth of revenue for the government without raising any taxes. Sounds good to me. 03444991000. Daisy McAndrew is here and we'll be telling you why environmentalists have got it all wrong on the waterfront. They think water meters should be made compulsory and we should all stop washing. What a collection of idiots. 03444991000. And we'll tell you why it costs more to be single. You're listening to me, Mike Graham and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. 03444991000 is the number. I'm delighted to say that very shortly we'll be talking to an English chess grandmaster and chess correspondent for The Times, uh, no less, man by the name of Raymond Keane. A couple of quick tweets, though. Annette says, working until you are 67 plus is not always practical. If you have a manual job, the tax burden seems to be affecting the working poor the most. Charlie says, TfL provide a 60 plus London Oyster card, which allows free travel on trains, tube and the bus. This covers all zones in London and can be used after peak time, 9.30 in the morning, and it's valid until the age of 65. Well, so 60 to 65. So I guess that's until you get the the one that's actually given out by by the state, I suppose. Uh, Two Mike says this. There's always all points on the show linked to other shows. Yesterday, about the money taken by the state when elderly taken into a care home, and wouldn't they rather spend those savings on themselves for things that they need? Well, I think that's quite a good point as well. No, it is. It is. On on people that... um use those bus passes called twirlies are they yeah i don't know i haven't heard of the collective noun for that yes because they're always too early oh i see you can only use them at 9 30 so they (laughs) when when it first came in they were known as well my father being a scotsman (laughs) was delighted when he got his free bus passes free he was always going off in places and he'd sort of go where are you going today oh i went off today i went to you know amersham or you know i took a decided to go up to leicester for the day no my dad because he loved traveling my dad got his i remember he went down to the tube which i don't think he'd ever used and asked which the smoking carriage was (laughs) oh well no they used to have them i mean they i do. do remember that that's how old i am oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand let's talk to raymond Keane because there is some skullduggery afoot uh, in the world of chess and the world of chess vaguely fascinates me uh, as as a kind of place which is inhabited by very very clever people lots of russians and uh, some kind of uh, un, you know unaccountably kind of uh, academic types so let's talk to raymond and find out what's going on raymond a very good uh, morning to you Hello, good morning. Now, I'm sorry if I if I stereotype the entire world of chess, because I'm sure it's not quite as simple as that, but uh, what is going on? Well, uh, there's an election coming up um, for the post of president of the World Chess Federation. OK. And this has been held for the last 20-odd years by a very eccentric gentleman called Kiersan Ilmzinov, um, who was very, very wealthy. He was president of his own country, Kalmykia. And Where's that? Uh, he said it's in Europe. We think it's somewhere in Asia. Oh, right, OK. Well, <laughs> it's not just part of his imagination. No, 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 it exists. But, OK. Uh, 
he claimed to have been abducted by aliens and uh, been given wisdom by you know, uh, <laughs> extraterrestrials and so on and so forth. Right. But he's not standing. He's he's done it for Thank 20 for that. years. And uh, he's he's uh, given up. And there's a, a race between a Russian, a guy called Arkady Dvorkovich, yeah. who was in charge of the Football World Cup in Russia. Oh, was he, right? He's a former Kremlin aide, this guy, right? Well, he was Deputy Prime Minister, I think. Ah, there you go. And uh, a Greek called Georgius Macropoulos, who was Deputy President while Ilham Zinov was President, and our own Nigel Short, British Grandmaster. Okay. So it's a three-way race, and uh, it's getting very uh, tense, tight, and quite vicious. And yeah. am I right in thinking Nigel Short is positioning himself as a sort of anti-corruption candidate? Yes. And uh, 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 and has he got a, a cat's chance? It, uh, of course, we all support him. Well, I hope we all support him. But it, it's very difficult because he doesn't quite have the resources of the other two. Mm. Uh, Dvorkovich has all the resources of the Russian government behind him. And uh, Macropolis has all the resources of the World Chess Federation behind him. Because he's been part of the, of the team, I shan't say gang, I shall avoid the word gang, of the team that's been running World Chess uh, for the last 20-odd years. Mm. So it sounds like this sounds like FIFA with menaces. This kind of situation. It's FIFA with menaces, but less money. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, this, so the so the sort of the the motive for all these guys to want to run the chess federation is nothing to do with money, then. Well, I I think, and I believe Nigel believes this as well, is that if the if the uh, leaders of the World Chess Federation were a bit more open, you know, a bit more democratic, a bit more transparent, and had you know, the real love of the game at the root of what they're doing, uh, chess could attract a lot more sponsorship, a lot more money. Uh, there are plenty of people out there who love chess and who'd like to support it. But with the crew who've been in charge, oh, sorry, I should say team, uh, with the team who've been in charge for the last 20-odd years, um, people have been reluctant to come forward and, and support it in the way it used to be supported. I mean, remember the uh, the Fischer-Spassky match of 1972, and people were falling over themselves to, uh, to sponsor that. There was... Uh, real rivalry between different nations to to stage it. And it was a massive event, wasn't it? I seem to remember it as though it was a kind of Ali Frazier sort of heavyweight bat- battle in, in, uh, in some far-flung part of the world. Yeah, it ended up in Reykjavik. Yeah, that's but right. They weren't the only people trying to get it. There were lots of other people trying to get it too. So it was it was definitely a sort of you know, world-class event. It was called the match of the century. And Raymond, the, the election is uh, next month, isn't it? How, how does the election take place? Who's eligible, eligible to vote? Every country who's affiliated to the World Chess Federation has a vote. And how many countries are that? Is that is that a couple of hundred? Um, I don't think it's quite as many as that. I think it's um, uh, around 150. Around 150. Okay. And one of the reasons why this story has kind of come to, to, to the fore is that a letter from the Israeli Foreign Ministry leaked to journalists, suggests that President Putin urged Benjamin Netanyahu to sway the Israeli Chess Federation's vote. I mean, it's high-stakes stuff, this, isn't it? It would surprise me if he hadn't urged all of them to sway sway their (laughs) votes. I mean, that kind of fails the so-what factor. Of course they're going to do that. If they're going to exploit all the resources of the Russian government to support a man who's been Deputy Prime Minister. I mean, this is hardly a surprise at all. I'd have been surprised if they hadn't. Well, I suppose the other good news for Putin and his and his band is that, you know, instead of having just one vote as the former Soviet Union, they can have dozens now with all these different little satellite states they've created. Well, satellite states and states that are, you know, not even satellite states, but are, are reliant friendly. on them. Friendly in yeah. some way. And there's, there's, there's something about the Swiss bank account as well, Raymond, that's um, been in the papers about yes, it, have, the, having money that, that nobody can get at or something. Under the previous regime, you know, this is the, the spaceman and his team, um, 
they had a Swiss bank account with uh, quite a lot of money in it. I think, you know, certainly one million, maybe two million uh, dollars or Swiss francs. And um, Ilham Zinov was targeted by the U.S. government and uh, uh, basically uh, uh, banned and regarded as someone who sort of, you know, betrayed Western values and so on and dealt with Syria. And um, the bank account was frozen and they had to transfer the money to a, an account in Hong Kong. And it's very unclear what this account in Hong Kong is. It doesn't seem to be a normal bank. And I think this is one of the planks of Nigel Short's campaign, that there should be more information about what's happened to the money and who's spending it. Is it, is it being spent on electoral purposes or for electoral purposes by uh, uh-huh. by the Greek government? And where does the British, the British sort of money in chess come from? Is there a grant given by the government or is it collected by subscription? or what's How is it funded? No, the, uh, the government doesn't support chess in this country at all. Really? Yes, it's. I mean, most countries in the world recognise chess as a mental sport. Yeah, and they get money from you know the sporting ministry. But uh, so far in the, in in our country, this hasn't been recognised at all. Uh-huh. So money comes really from either sponsors or from people who um, join join the federation. Well, actually, and and do we have any any bright young um, fantastic players at the moment? I mean, obviously, Nigel. We do. Yes, there's a kid called Shreyas Royale who's a nine year old. Um, who was uh, born in India but came here at the age of three. Is this the guy that's facing deportation? Well, he's not facing deportation anymore. Um, We had a big piece in The Times uh, when this story first broke, um, and The Times came out in support of him staying. I remember that, yeah. He's now been allowed to stay, so his family's got a visa and everything's looking... Okay. Because I remember there was an argument at the time where people were saying, well, since when was becoming, you know, a chess master or being brilliant at chess a reason for uh, giving somebody citizenship of this country? I think the answer is not so much being brilliant at chess, but being brilliant at anything. Yeah. I mean, there are so many people who come to the country um, who actually end up as a drain on the resources. And if you've got someone coming who's, you know, earning a good living and is liable to be a future world champion in anything, I mean, yeah. even if it's tiddlywing sort No, indeed. Well, we've got plenty of people who were born here who drain on the resources. I've always been in favour of exporting <laughs> them and bringing in the clever people. Well, I think King James the first <laughs> and sixth had that idea when he started. <laughs> it's not a new idea. And look what happened to him, you know. Yeah. Anyway, listen, uh, Raymond, appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed. We're, so how do we keep track of all of this? If we, uh, can we keep up with the, the voting procedure and all that somewhere online? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, plug it, blowing my own trumpet. Uh, there are my tweets for the Times, you know, at Times underscore chess. Okay. Tweet on it every day. I've already tweeted the article in today's Times. So that will keep everybody informed. And to be uh, as even handed as possible, I even tweet the. Um, you know the uh, what the other the other camps are up to as well, not just Nigel, but of course I support Nigel. The Times supports Nigel, and I I hope the whole country will support Nigel as well. I think we need to get behind him. I think we you're do, absolutely right, Raymond. Thank you very much indeed, Raymond Keane, uh, who is of course the chess correspondent for the Times and also former English chess grandmaster. He is a grandmaster himself from somebody. Like, what a I've just started following is. Times chess. This is great. I think we should keep this up. I think yeah. we need to keep tabs on it. I all think of this. we should we should become a chess supporting station. Yeah, we are the chess backers of Talk Radio. I can't imagine anybody else is going to try and steal that crown. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I don't know whether you could put those two stories together and go back to yep. the old uh, uh, adage of uh, shower with a friend to save water. Do you remember that? In Waste the, not, we want had, not. Waste not, want not when we had droughts in the 70s. I see, by the way, that we finally were told yesterday 
that uh, the summer that we've had so far has actually been hotter than has, 1976. Has been the hottest, absolutely. But it's weird, isn't it, when you look at the... Because obviously they average out the temperature from sort of June to September, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's only averaging... And it was 15 six, or something. Yeah, exactly, 60 something yeah. in, in, in old money, which seems yeah. extraordinary, but I suppose it's an average. So It is, and, and it, so it tells you we hottest. still do live in a relatively sort of, uh, you know, reasonably sort of moderate climb, as yeah. it were. Yeah, and I, I mean, with the water meters, I'm all in favour of water meters with a massive caveat, yes. which is... We will monitor our water intake yeah. once the water companies stop leaking well, water exactly. all over the place. And and actually, and I think you know we could all have water meters which would say that the first X number of liters, whatever you know, a reasonable amount would be free or very very low cost. So, yeah. and I do understand. Yes, the water comes from you know the clouds, but it has to be filtered, it has to be collected, it has to be delivered. All of those things cost money, and yeah, I, I, mean, I totally I'm, get it. I'm being slightly disingenuous when I say, yeah. why do we have to pay for water? It yeah. falls from the sky. And, but you know why? Do we have to pay so much for water? I think is a very valid question. Yeah, and but and, but I also see that you know one family that might be you know watering a massive plot of land every single day, whatever, should pay more than somebody who yeah. has quite careful. Isn't it water interesting though that now we're told that that is the case? That was the whole. And I don't. And I don't. I've, I've said this several times already today. I don't want to get into a whole argument about about the poll tax, but the poll tax was about charging people for the amount yeah. of services that they used, which I thought was entirely a fair right because if you've got a family of ten people living in one house they're going to use more services by the local council than a family of one and and the same goes for water now we're told that the water principle can be okay but the tax for poll tax can be wrong let's talk to karen gibbs senior policy manager for environmental research because we wanted to speak to professor jim hall uh, who's the guy that's come out with some of this stuff he's from the uh, uh, uh environmental change institute we also went to the center for ecology and hydrology they said they didn't want to talk about compulsory water meters but luckily karen does so we'll see what she has to say karen a very good morning Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, I'm all in favour of people using things, uh, you know, sort of responsibly, sensibly and all of that. But I do think that whenever it comes to water, I can't, like Daisy, get past the idea that we lose so much water through leakages that, you know, surely it's time that the industry put its house in order before they start telling us what to do. Well, I I think you've hit the nail on the head there, really. Um, You know, uh, that's a very widely held perception that, you know, if we are all being asked to use water much more wisely, that the water companies have got to, you know, lead by example Mm. and really get on top of their their leakage uh, levels. Right. Um, And I think, you know, once we once we really see that commitment being delivered, I think we'll all feel a bit more inclined to do our bit. But how can, how can we, because obviously we can't just, you know, beg them or tell them to do it. I mean, how can we really force them to do it? Because it seems that everybody agrees they shouldn't be wasting so much water, but they still do. Well, the, the companies have just submitted um, business draft business plans to the regulator Ofwap, which set out what they're proposing to do um, by way of investment uh, from 2020 to 2025. This is a five-yearly business planning cycle that we go through. And the companies there have been challenged to reduce leakage by a minimum of 15% during that time. Now, clearly... What is it? Do you know what it is at the moment? In terms of... Well, in terms of a percentage. I mean, how much much by percentage are they losing? I know it's 20 billion litres a day. I don't know what that is by percentage. Um, On average, it's somewhere between 20 and 25%. That's a hell of a lot, isn't it? So they're losing a quarter of their water. Can you imagine any other business being run like that? Imagine if you're running a beer uh, brewery (laughs) and, you know, you lost a quarter of the beer every time you tried to make any. Well, you you talk about throwing money down the sink. I mean, it's literally, isn't it? 
Um, the, the, the thing here we should remember is that some companies' performance is better than others. Right. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about averages, as you were saying earlier on, you know, it can often mask quite a difference in, in levels of performance. But what's really important is that the companies have, you know, have got to recognise that it is such an important perception issue for their customers and that if they really do want their customers to go with them on this journey to sort of start treating water with with a lot more um, you know care they are going to have to really demonstrate they're doing everything that they can as well because our available water resources are coming under increasing pressure I mean we saw this summer you know the really phenomenal temperatures and clearly that has an impact on how much water people are using but we're also growing in population as well so there's more of us wanting to use the water that is available sure but we are far, far more resilient aren't we than people thought i mean it was only what four four weeks ago or so we were having all these aerial shots of buckingham palace and green park in london and all sorts of swathes of the countryside completely brown and now they're all green again um, and, and, and that, uh, you know, is, is the challenge of working with something as unpredictable as our, our, our weather. Um, but, you know, the companies have, did have to put an awful lot of effort over the summer into moving water around to where it was needed, really pushing their um, networks and production to keep, keep up with the demand. So, you know, they've worked really hard over the summer to sort of keep those supplies going. But... As I say, if if the climate continues to change and we start to get hotter, drier summers on a more regular basis, um, we are going to have to start being a lot more careful with the water that we do have available to us. But I mean, I don't think trying to find new ways of getting more. I don't think people genuinely, though, um, Karen, use overuse water, do they? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think we've all become a lot less profligate in what we waste in terms of we recycle all the bottles that we drink out of, we recycle all sorts of other things that we packaging that we've got you know i think people are genuinely more aware of of conservation than they were yes i mean i've never yet met somebody who um says that they waste water um the thing is we don't always know how efficient we are with the way that we use water and often you know um, it's not until we either go on to a meter or are provided with some information about our water use that really makes us understand you know what how much we're using and how we're using the water in the home well for example um, the national infrastructure commission which is another one of these quangos i've never heard of until today run by a load of do-gooders who want to tell us how we should run our lives uh, they say we should cut water use from 37 gallons per person per day uh, to an ambitious 30 gallons which equates to 118 litres um i certainly can tell you i don't use 118 litres of water a day um the, the problem is we often don't keep track of the water that we use i mean for example one of the biggest users of water is toilet flushing uh-huh. um you know uh when we uh, use washing machines and dishwashers you know so you don't necessarily always register the fact that you're using water in there all right well how many liters of water do you use flushing the toilet um well it can vary it it, you know um some of the older uh toilets have you know well let's take an average uh, bigger flushes um it could be anything from sort of uh, between 10 and 15 uh, liters per flush 10 okay so if you flush it 10 times a day that's still less than the number of number of uh uh, liters that this that this mob the national infrastructure commission want you to use right yeah, but, I mean, if you think, if we've got a family of four, you're definitely going to flush yeah, through more than 10 person. times a day. Yeah, no, but this is per person. Per so, person. You know, yeah, yeah, per person. 
But then I suppose washing machines, that's that's. Yeah, but another... I mean, we have we do live in the modern world. I mean, I yeah. don't want to live in a house where you only flush the toilet uh, when you, uh, quote, absolutely have to, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But, but Karen... You know, I mean, I've been in war zones where that, that happens and it's not very pleasant. It's not very pleasant. But Karen, I mean, I would assume that it's not the sort of individual households that are the problem, but it's sort of big, big businesses and factories and so on. But maybe I'm wrong on that. I mean, how much water do they do, do, do sort of, you know, corporates use? Well, I mean, th- this is the thing. It's not just about household customers. It's about, you know, it's, it's about businesses. It's about um, uh, electricity generation. Yeah, but this it's particular, about, yeah, but this know, story, though. needs to have access to water. Yeah, but this story, Karen, is about Professor Jim Hall uh, and, and water meters being made compulsory in all households. He doesn't say anything about, you know, corporations or, or factories or anything like that. Well, most businesses are already metered, uh, particularly if they have, you know, sort of quite high water use. They they should have already been metered by now. Um, And what we're, I I think, you know, what we're we're seeing already across the southeast of England is that the water companies that are operating in what we've um, uh, got, uh, defined as water stressed areas, which are basically, as I say, most of the south and the east of England, um, are, are the need to balance the sort of demands of their customers and, and the available water supply. Now, what we've encouraged as the Consumer Council for Water is very much for the companies to adopt a, trin, a twin track approach, which basically means that. Yes, they need to get down, cut down leakage. They need to work with their customers to encourage people to use water wisely. But importantly, they must also invest in resources. Well, well, not only that, but they should get their prices down. And in fact, water companies have now set out just in the last few days uh, plans to cut bills for millions of customers. I'm sure you're aware of this. Seven Trent and United Utilities are going to cut the average bill by 5% and 10.5% respectively. However, Thames Water said bills would be unchanged. The problem, I think, as well here, Karen, is that we're dealing with a load of uh, profiteering in the water companies, right? People who have uh, privatised these companies, many of them foreign-owned, and are absolutely ripping the hell out of it and making a fortune getting very wealthy off the back of the well, consumer. And, and I think that's one of the problems. You know, we all know how much these water bosses are paid and it does really stick in the throat. I mean, you mentioned Thames Water there. Steve Robertson, you know, he just announced with great fanfare that he wasn't going to be taking a bonus for the next oh, two nice. years. But if he if he hits his targets, mm-hmm. in two years' time, he will be eligible for a bonus of three point, or an, an income of three and three quarter million pounds. Huh. And, you know, Liv Garfield, we know also, with you mentioned Seven Water, Seven, Seven Trent um, there. You know, her... I think her sort of annual income is nearly two and a half million mm. pounds, and it's absolutely gross. Well, this is why, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the companies have just submitted their business plans to Ofwat, and as the economic regulator, Ofwat will be crawling over those plans and particularly looking at those elements of what the company is proposing, because um, increasingly the regulator has put pressure on the companies to address some of those imbalances mm. that has happened in the past. But they haven't had much luck, have they? Because since privatisation in 1989, water bills have risen above inflation by guess how much? 40%. Now, that is not acceptable to me. I don't know what off what I've been doing uh, all these years, but they haven't been doing their job. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, you know, I can, I can understand what you're saying, but what we've also well, got... Well, 40% above inflation. I mean, you know, that's not acceptable, is it? 
But the, the, one of the reasons why the industry was privatised in the first place was because with um, increasing environmental and quality um, obligations coming in, a huge amount of investment was needed in the sector. And, you know, that has happened over the... Over, over well, the, if they're uh, investing so much in the sector and they're still losing 20 billion litres a day, I suggest their investment is maybe not going in the right place. Well, there's certainly going to be more focus on leakage um, going into the next planning <laughs> but period. But is there, though? Is there? Yes, yeah, absolutely. The when companies you... have committed to, a, um, across the board, a 15% reduction. Now, it's easy to say that in a plan. Obviously, what's important is to see that commitment delivered. But you're talking about privatisation having been going on for more than 30 years, right? Yes, almost the 30 years. In yeah, yeah, so practically 30 years it's taken them to get a grip on the leakage. That's not good enough either, is it? Well, they, they, there was some, some um, uh, more significant reduction in, in the mid-1990s. Oh, yeah. Then it kind of flatlined for, okay. for a while. So this is why the regulator and, and the Consumer Council for Water have been really pushing the companies to say, you know, we've really now got to see a step change. OK. So where are you, Karen, on the, on the, on the old business of, uh, of, of water meters? Do you think it should be made compulsory for people to have them? Um, well, as I say, it is already compulsory in parts of, uh, across most of the southeast of England. Um, oh, I haven't got companies, one. Because they're trying to you know, balance supply and demand um, and need to encourage customers to, to use water wisely, have made a case for compulsory metering, which they're allowed to do. Yeah, but it's and not so compulsory in the southeast water, of England, so- though. Is it? Because so if, if it was, hang on, water. but hang on, if Karen, if it was compulsory, I'd have a, I'd have a water meter, and I haven't. Yes, but it's it's taking time to roll out the programmes. Thames Water is partway through its metering programme. Southern Water has, has pretty much completed its metering programme. South East Water, operating in Kent and um, Sussex, is um, you know nearly at the end of their yeah, metering programme. When, when yeah, but hang on. When you say their metering programme, so if they come to me and say, uh, we want you to have a water meter, and I say no, how can they compel me to have one? Um, because they have got the legal backup to do so. What do you mean? Uh, it's once they've got approval from the Secretary of State for Environment, um, they have the law behind them to well, be able to compulsory meter. Yeah, but have they got that? Yes. Well, why haven't I got one then? Because they're rolling a program out over a period of time. And they just haven't got to um, yet. Because they've got a very large customer base. Well, I'm, I don't want to have a meter. I, I'm not <laughs> accepting it. I'm, 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 I may have to go to jail over you this. might have to be a test case. Nobody asked me if I wanted a meter. <laughs> I mean, we didn't get to vote on this, Karen. Um, uh, no, but the company did, did um, consult on its, its business plan. Well, why is, um, why is Professor Jim Hall saying water meters should be made compulsory in all households if it's already happened? I really don't know. You'll have to ask him. He won't come on the show. <laughs> He's too frightened. Maybe that's why. Well, well, as I say, I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, what we forget sometimes when we discuss some of these topics is the fact that, you know, there are some customers that are currently paying more than they should and would actually benefit from going on to a metre. I might be one of them. Um, I just don't like the idea of being told what to do. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to go onto our website, which is um, ccwater.org.uk, mm. 
we actually have um, a water meter calculator. So you can answer a few sort of fairly straightforward questions mm. and get a sense of whether you would benefit from going onto a meter or not. OK. And what about putting a meter on the water companies to see how much they're leaking? And when they get that right, then we might take out, might, might take a meter on their behalf. Well, this is the thing. They, they, they do obviously um, calculate how much water is being lost through leakage. Um, but one, one thing that, you know, we, we should remember is that it also includes water that's lost from customers' supply pipes. Uh-huh. So actually the pipes that are really the, the, the responsibility of the property owner. Right. Um, so, again, that's another reason why metering helps, because it, do, it does... Yeah, but that's because they want it both ways, the these people. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Listen, Karen, we'll have to let you go. Thanks very much. Karen Gibbs, Senior Policy Manager for Environmental Research. They get you coming and going, these people, don't you? I don't mean Karen, I mean these water companies. You know, yeah, so they say they that, you know, <laughs> if there's something wrong with the leakage on your property, yeah. which has nothing to do with you because you didn't put the pipes in, you know, suddenly you're supposed to fix it. But we'll come back to that, though, because we want to talk now about the expensive price of being single uh, with the finance editor of Good Housekeeping magazine, Kalpana uh, Fitzpatrick. Cal Panna, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. How are you? Very well indeed. I'm a bit worked up about the price of water, but I'll try and forget that for the moment. <laughs> uh, because, yes. of course, apparently, according to a study uh, by the Good Housekeeping Institute, it costs 2000 a year more to be single. It does. Are you sure? We are sure. We've done, well, we've crunched the numbers. Yeah. So, um, so in the past, I mean, we've heard about the single supplement, for example. So when you go on holiday, right. um, it still costs you a lot more. But our research has shown that it doesn't actually just stop at the single supplement. It's whether you're paying the council tax, car insurance, train travel, flights, gym membership, and even your food, for example. So let's say you're going to the supermarket, you just want to buy a chicken breast. How often do you see just one portion? So you end up having to buy more. Yeah, you just buy two and put one in the freezer, do you? You could. You could put one in the freezer, but I think what it does essentially come down to is that choice. Um, you know, maybe you don't want to put it in a freezer, maybe you can't put it in the freezer. Um, the point is, it doesn't just stop at food. Food is just one example. It's also council tax as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're kind of basing you know, this on the fact that every couple shares everything 50-50, which a lot, an awful lot of couples don't really, do they? Um, I think this comes down to a choice as well. So if you're um, a couple and you can split your um, council tax or your food bill or, you know, or if you're traveling, for example, the holidays is a big thing. Um, The fact that, you know, you don't end up having to pay the single supplement Um, or even when you're booking a flight, for example, there's a booking fee and say it's about £15 and whether you're booking for two people or one person, you still pay the same amount. So I think it's a matter of choice as well. Well, that's fairly standard, isn't it? I mean, why why should one person get a discount on a booking fee? I mean, I don't think they should have booking fees in the first place, but if you're making a booking... I agree. I don't think there should be a booking fee in the first place. But I mean, do you Um, know anyone who's gone from being single to into a relationship and gone, do you know, I can't believe how much more disposable income I've got now that I'm in a relationship? Um, I personally don't know anyone that's actually done that, but I think what's happening now is by 2032, we can expect over 40% of households um, to be of single occupancy. I think being single is becoming um, the norm, and I think what's what I'd like to see is um, companies sort of catching up with this as well. Um, the fact, you know, recognising that there is a market out there for people who are single mm. and actually um, addressing this when it comes to their structure, pricing structures, etc. Um, and even in the supermarket to, you know, address the fact that people do want to buy smaller portions, um, ready meals, etc. Um, 
but that doesn't have to cost more. I think that's really interesting, Kapana, in the way that, um, as you were saying, 40% of, of households um, call themselves you know, single occupancy now. And I'm pretty certain that in the sort of mid-50s, that figure was about 4%. Yeah. So you can see there's a huge change that's happened mm. to our society. There's a huge, you know, more numbers of people marrying call, later. What happens if you, li- if you live in a, in, a, in a sort of flat share? Do you call yourself single occupancy or, or not? Um, I think it depends. I mean, are you... If you're flat sharing someone, you're still going to spend um, split that council tax bill. Um, you you might not necessarily cost um, split the cost of food. Um, if you're going on holiday alone, you're not necessarily going to go with yeah. your flatmate. I, I mean, I guess what, so, I'm, what I'm after yeah. at Calpana is I'm just saying a lot, a lot, an awful lot of people certainly in, in London live in mm. flat shares, but they're not with they're not in a relationship. They're not in a relationship, and um, I think, you know, you can, obviously, you know, for example, I'm just going to go back to the idea of if you're going on holiday, if if you, you know, the point is that if you're going as a single person, it is going to cost you more. If you're buying your groceries as a single person, it is going to cost you more. You might, therefore, save money on your council tax or your um, other bills, etc. But, I mean, the gym membership, you know, if you join up as a couple, you might, you can do that with a friend. There are ways around it. Um, but again, it comes down to I think the choice is taken away from you. You don't okay. really necessarily have a choice. What about the train fare? There's two things here I would ask you about. Typical train fare for a couple, £15.80, single £24. How does that work? Um, so I think when where you could get um, a... Um, so you can get rail cards. There's no, you know, you can get rail cards for couples. You can get rail cards for families, but there aren't any for singles. So I think you could just expect to pay the full price. Um, yeah, but I think, you've, I think you've kind of cherry-picked that one, London, you? Victoria, we've quoted. What, £24 is the only ticket you can get if you're single? Um, well, I suppose it depends on what time you might be buying it, etc. But I think the point is there is no sort of way round of getting any kind of reduction yeah. if you're a single person. Yeah, but that doesn't and, mean you're necessarily yeah. better or worse off, though, does it? Same with car insurance. I mean, if I wanted to put my well, partner on yeah. my car insurance, the car insurance goes up. Well, it, does it go does, down. but I think the point is that you you know you're split splitting that cost. So if you you're reckon? buying it, um, you you are. So no, I mean, we're not though. But you can. The thing is, you can add a add a friend or an adult, and this is how you might be able to beat the singles tax. So you can add a friend or an adult as a named driver, as long as they're obviously driving the the car. Um, yeah, but, but what if you've got two down... if you've got two cars, right? And I get put on hers, and she gets put on mine. We're ending up paying more. Ah, so we're talking about one car here. Um, so. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's really obviously um, about how you um, work work around that. So, but it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not just that, it's home insurance as well. So when we compared policies, um, a joint policy might cost something like 167 on average. Um, so that works out to be about yeah, 83. but it's the same policy, isn't it? Surely. I, mean, it, you, you... I know. Well, this is the point. So if you pay it as a single person, yeah. it's actually still going to cost you a lot more. Well, yeah, because you're getting your house insured, right? But if you live in a house with somebody else and two of you get the house insured for the same money and you split it, it's pretty obvious that's going to be half the cost. 
but the point is, it's there's always. But think of the emotional so cost of being a relationship, this... Calpar. That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> you, you. You can't put a price on the emotional cost of being in a relationship and you all the can't trauma. Put a price on the emotional cost of being in a relationship, and I would just like to obviously swing it back. I think the thing, the point is here as well. The fact is that companies aren't really catching up with the fact that there has been a change in society, and it is changing. We are seeing more singles, and therefore I think pricing and criteria needs to um, start reflecting this. Uh, like council tax um, is just one example. Um, I mean, it's it's not just the travel; it's council tax, food. Um, but you know, if, if you're, you're single, wheel, but if you're single, you get a reduction on the council tax because you're single. Twenty-five percent. Yeah. So, well, that's fine, um, isn't it? That's better than nothing. It's, it is better than nothing. I mean, if you I go to buy can... a flat in London, you don't get a discount because you're on your own. Is that what you want as well? No. <laughs> well, it'd be great if you could. Yes, um, but if you were sharing it with somebody, yeah. it would be Yeah, but be that's half not the, the point. Cost. You know, if you're buying something, you know, would you want to buy a pair of Nike sneakers and get a discount because you're on your own? But you're only going to wear them on your own. That's the point. Well, you might share so, them with someone. Uh, <laughs> well, gosh, I hope not. <laughs> but, Calvin, I, really I, I was thinking yeah. about the way, you know, so, so much of the way first sort, world of, problem, this, sort of bartering has happened <laughs> or, you know, consuming has happened. So much of it has changed in the way that, you know, we'll, we'll now buy yeah, things. Yeah, but, you know, this you is know, just like more whimpering from the millennials, isn't it? No, no, but I'm wondering whether a new way of whether single people will end up sort of, you know, um, well, you know, sort of ganging together and buying things on. But you know how you've got new ways of buying energy? We talked about energy yeah. prices earlier, how communities are getting together to bring the cost down for themselves. I just wonder whether there's going to end up being some sort of new way that people will buy goods and services if they're single and almost buy it in a, in a yes. sort of um, conglomerate type way. Yeah, Absolutely. I feel that um, consumers will start finding ways around. Um, and it could be, you know, we talked about buying a house. I mean, you can buy mortgages, uh, get into mortgages with friends. Um, and I just, um, don't th- I just don't think you want to be in a position where you're kind of discriminating, you know, in favour of certain people, because then you're therefore discriminating against other people. If you want to buy some, about, some goods um, or a service. Rather than, um, sort yeah, but of you've already, any, yeah, but single people have already, you've already, if you're, if you're getting a 25% discount on your council tax as a single person, you're already getting a better deal than anybody who's not single. Um, so with a single occupancy household, I think it would be great to see a 50% discount um, rather than a 25% Well, I'm sure you would, discount. but that's not reality, is um, it? That isn't reality. I think that the point is that um, with the society changing, it'd be good to see um, not just council tax, but retailers also changing the criteria in, in terms of how they price anything. In the same way, you know, you wouldn't want to see... Um, discrimination between genders, etc. And I think, you know, I, I actually hope that this change will come about in time. And, you know... You might be married by then, in that which case you want it to go back ah, the other way. I already am. <laughs> you're already married. So, so you're, already, already yeah, you're already better off then. Do you split everything 50-50? Yes. Of course. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no. I mean, no. It's yes, about, no, which is it? <laughs> it's about the household, the everyday items. Right. I don't split a gym membership because I use a gym membership. Um, right. um, but... You know, there are, you know, when when we buy food, for example, it is bought as a couple. It's right. not bought as a single person. But if I was buying yeah, it Yeah, but why would you expect myself, the person next to you who's single to pay less money for the same food? I think it's making it equal so that you're not actually paying more. You know, I've got news for you, Kalpana. The world ain't equal. There's no point in trying wow. to make it's a totally it so. different argument. No, the world is not equal. We can campaign and fight. 
Yeah, I think yeah, I, th- right. I think there's a lot, but I think I think the market, the single market, will find this is mad a way. As anything I've ever heard. No, I think they'll, they'll they'll find a way to kind of buy in bulk together, whether it's holidays right. or, or something. There'll Maybe be some hundred new, chicken breasts. There'll be, to there'll put be a new the platform. There'll be a new platform online, and they'll work it all out. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. Brings a whole new meaning to the single market, Kalpana. Thank you for your uh, for your time, <laughs> oh, Kalpana Fitzpatrick of the Finance Centre. Good housekeeping. I stole that from somebody else. Don't worry. <laughs> but I'm not giving him any credit. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.